0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all right, Riding around in the breeze. Well, it's all right, if you live the life you
1: please. Well, Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Right. Great to be here today, as always. Send a shout out to our uh, supporter, St. John Creamery, their local raw goat milk Delicious for dogs, cats, pigs, well, humans too, but they have a a milk for pets that's awesome. It's a really easy way to boost the nutrition of your dog's food, add some probiotics and enzymes, and they love it. So look for some raw goat milk wherever you are, and if you're in western Washington, be sure to reach for St. John Creamery. I'm excited because I have Julie Austin here in the booth with me today, and she is a any pet photographer in the area, and her work is great beautiful i'm always excited to see her photos on social media julie welcome to the show
2: well thank you julie
1: um so i you know we were just talking before the show about uh how much we love our jobs (laughs) yeah i think you i i think you have a pretty sweet job
2: i agree yeah i agree totally
1: um so you are travel all over the place and you go to other states now too. Yeah.
2: I've started traveling to different states for, okay. for photo sessions. Yeah.
1: And um your the everybody has a different style, right? So there's plenty of um pet photographers, um and photographers in general, and everyone has their own style and um different themes and all that kind of stuff. Um and it's I think really what people want in in something like a pet uh, painted portrait or photo is to really capture the essence Mm -hmm. of the animal. Yes. Um, And then I know different people have different like things that they do to try to bring that out or not do. Mm -hmm. So um, working with animals as a subject versus like a an adult human where you can maybe give them some direction or you know do you um i guess so let's talk about dogs first cuz i actually have questions about the different species too sure. um what do you do to like bring out who they are or let who they are come out or you know well i try to keep my energy level
2: Or kind of keep that in check to be very calm and not get especially when I first meet the dogs to sort of um, let almost be um, somewhere in the middle I mean not to greet them too much kind of let them make the first moves as far as uh, having their personality come out um, rather than me sort of putting expectations on them, Mm -hmm. sort of just sit back and wait for them to show me Mm -hmm. what they're about.
1: And dogs are so different. So you've got some dogs who are like, hey, how's it going? What's your name? Yeah, And then other dogs that might be a little nervous around a stranger. Mm -hmm. So you probably also really are reading the dog as an individual. Yeah. I mean,
2: there are some dogs that, you know, they come up and their paws are on your chest and, you know, okay, this dog, we're fine to just, you know, from the get go. But the shy ones you kind of just let them you kind of almost ignore them for a while and let them come around to you on their on their own time, yeah um, which is one of the reasons why my photo sessions can be quite long mm-hmm. um because I want to get the dogs I don't want to rush the dogs,
1: yeah, there's no rushing dogs, there's yeah, no is there? rushing dogs, <laughs> especially if they're nervous exactly yeah yeah, yeah. nothing it's all on it's their own all time. yeah, yep, yeah. yeah, um. And so how long are your sessions typically for
2: Um, my private sessions are two to three hours long. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's enough time to get a a fair amount of um, uh, assortment of images. I don't want people to walk away with, you know, 50, 50 images or 50 proofs of the dog looking at me at the exact same way. You know, we want action shots. (laughs) We want slow shots. We want shots with the owner, um, you know, just a a huge variety different settings different settings Um, each session can be in two locations Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of times people start at the house and move to a park or go from park to park or um, I kind of leave that up to the to the owner um, to decide and I also have suggestions that I make for for locations Mm -hmm.
1: and are you mostly outside
2: yes Uh yeah
1: and so in the winter time
2: The wintertime is actually one of my favorite times to to photograph because the light here in the northwest is so amazing in the winter Uh that it's uh, it's preferable during the daytime during the winter.
1: I've heard that a sunny and bright is not the best actually for photography. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Um, In fact, during the summer months, I won't even photograph during the day. I only photograph either early in the morning or later in the afternoon in the evening. So we catch that that more of that golden light versus like at noon on the in the summer i just avoid at all costs Mm -hmm. unless it's cloudy out then you know
1: right right right. so you i see um not just dogs Mm -hmm. um in your photos Mm -hmm. um do you act a different way based off of the species that you're with like as a generalization like oh i'm with a horse i'm and you may or may not even be conscious of it or now that I'm asking you about it. But like, um, oh, I'm I'm with a horse versus a dog versus a cat versus I don't know what else you've.
2: Yeah, I think you, each species is different. But I think the same basic staying calm and keeping your energy at a calm level is for all animals. Um, but uh, one of the differences between, like, say, dogs and horses is horses kind of run the show a little bit more. You don't you can't tempt them with treats as much oh, right, as, you right. know, that sort of, or sit stay sort of thing. Right. It's like a horse is, you know, 1500 pounds if I'm going to do whatever I want to do for the most part.
1: Right. Wait, wait.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Doesn't work with horses. Huh. Um, is there a certain body part that you really like to photograph? The eyes. Eyes. Yeah. Yeah. The eyes. see a lot of actually like a lot of horse eyes. I mm-hmm. think of actually, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Um, I think it's because, you know, the whole, the, whole, the, the cliches are cliches cause they're generally true, but the, the eyes are the window to the soul as so many people say. So I think you really can capture a lot of the animals personality mm-hmm. by getting close, sharp, focused eyes.
1: I, um, posted, um, earlier today on our Facebook page about having you on the show today. And there's, um, several of your photos, um, on there for people to check out. And, uh, I love the ones, I mean, all all the ones that you, all the ones that you gave me to share are really great. Um, There's one, I think it's Roxy. Oh, yeah, Roxy. Yeah. crush on her. Oh, yeah, she's a sweetheart. Oh, she's got in those, like, smile, Uh like, her whole, I think it's so interesting when you can see eyes smile. Mm -hmm. She's a happy dog. Yeah. She's a happy girl. And she's just, like, in all her glory in Uh that photo. Yeah. Yeah.
2: she was a Malibu dog. That was one of my California sessions. She oh, she was nice. out in Malibu, California.
1: <laughs> she was like, I'm in Malibu. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so your website is jayaustinphotography.com. Correct. Yes. And then you're on Facebook. Yes. Julie Austin Photography. Correct. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and so people can go and check out your work there. Mm-hmm. And um, you've done some covers for City Dog Magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, quite a few now, haven't Three. you? Three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then you have two dogs, yes, and who are they? Um, Pearl is my lab Sharpe mix, mm-hmm.
2: and Gussie is my pit border collie mix, mm-hmm. my little tripod.
1: yeah, oh, she's a tripod, yeah, 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 cute. Um, okay, so I have a question about pho- the art of photography. So it is like you're focusing on the subject, right? So everybody's mm-hmm. attention is on. What you are photog- like, uh, photographing, like, mm-hmm. photographing, the dog or the horse or um, what other kinds of, have you photographed any, like, weird, like, weird, not weird, well, but, like. an unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Capybaras. I've I don't even know what that
1: is. It's the world's largest rodent.
2: Oh. It's, like, about a 60-pound guinea pig, basically. Really? Yeah. Where? Um, there's a lady here in Bothell that has one as a pet. Oh. Huh. They're from, originally from South America. I photograph snakes, rabbits, goats, sheep, uh uh Scottish
1: Highland cows, llamas, pretty much anything. So someone's like, "I have a pet snake mm-hmm. and I love it, mm-hmm. him or her, and um I want you to come out and photograph my snake." Yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> and same kind of thing. huh? mellow energy and yeah, tell it to just, sit and stay. And
2: yeah. well, we took that snake out to a no kids were there. But we took it out to a little kid's playground. Yeah, and let the snake kind
1: of oh nice maneuver
2: around the, the 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 playground equipment and got some pretty cool shots that way.
1: I feel like I would know this just because of animals, but I'm just inclined to ask if snakes have personality. I
2: the owners say they do. Yeah. They say they do. I haven't been around enough snakes to know that personally, but I just take their word for it that they have personalities.
1: It's a whole nother discussion of body language, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I've only done a couple of snakes, so <laughs> I don't really know them that well.
1: Huh. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So about, um, photography, like we focus, like, I think like the direction of focus tends to be like on the subject, right? Mm-hmm. So Oh, that's the horse or that's the dog or whatever. And that's what you're looking at when you see the photo. Um, but what's kind of interesting is that what creates the actual photograph is actually so much the photographer on the other side of the mm-hmm. camera. And so I think this is maybe kind of a hard question to answer, but you know, I love art and and you know, photography is certainly a form of art and mm-hmm. and it's a a a way to express, it's an artistic expression. So uh, what's your feeling on like what an individual or what you bring to to your photography as an art, like as an artist or kind of like coming from focusing more on the photographer um, and your impact on the end result?
2: I think a lot of my, the end result of my pictures does come from my, I've got a very heavy art background Mm. I've been in special art classes since I was in kindergarten. Um, Mm. I was a graphic designer for a year. I have my degree in graphic design, but I've painted, I've drawn, I've sculpted, I've done ceramics, I've done pottery, I've done just about everything. So I think that has a, I know that has a very heavy influence on my photography, Mm -hmm. um, that I come more from an artistic background than from a photography
1: background. So that makes sense to me and then and and i guess there's just varying degrees and then everyone has there's i mean infinite styles mm-hmm. of art because there's as many people yeah. as there are right yeah um so something that i've thought about for years that about photographs that i think is kind of um interesting to think about is the relationship between photographs and time because a photograph is like a captured moment Mm -hmm. in time that once was and is no longer and i don't know never will be again i don't know yeah (laughs) no
2: that that makes that i totally understand what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and i think one of the things that i'm able to do is to you know you can capture a moment of time with a flower and that's very beautiful but when you're talking about capturing a moment of time with your family member which is your animal Mm -hmm. that is there forever when you know that the animal is not going to be there forever Mm -hmm. um it's it's kind of humbling to be able to to do that for people
1: do you know how long photography has been in existence our our ability as humans to um do that because there was a plenty of time that I have no idea I mean I think it must be fairly but then I guess there's art like there's drawings and all that and so so that's
2: basically photography before there were cameras um and that, photography, I think, started in the 1800s, but don't quote me on that. I really don't know. Kind of 100% feels. Sure. yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I start to think about it, and then my brain kind of only goes so far, mm-hmm. and then I kind of am like get twisted around, and I need to like know quantum physics or something. Yeah, that's way, way, way above my pay grade right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, though, that yeah. we can like uh Capture a moment in time like that mm-hmm. and, and then, like, look back on it and at once, you know, I don't know. It's just interesting. So you do a lot of, um, you support a lot of nonprofit organizations locally. Yes. Um, I know you've done Old Dog Haven, mm-hmm. uh, Frankie's Friends. You've, you've, like, a whole bunch.
2: Yeah, I, I like to donate um, what I can to local and national, but mostly local uh, non-profits primarily animal but there's been some other non-animal non-profits mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to give back mm-hmm. as much as you can or however you can it doesn't always have to be money sure um, so I just donate photo sessions to the the different organizations for their fundraisers mm-hmm.
1: I see that a lot in your posts on social media that you, you were at the you know this old dog, old dog haven mm-hmm. event and mm-hmm. you were photographing these you know those guys and over here and over here and well in photographing especially the dogs especially the
2: dogs that are looking for homes is really really important to me because uh it's uh it's kind of like online dating for dogs the picture makes a big difference so i like to be able to offer those services to the different rescues at no cost to to Mm. help them out to help the dogs find
1: yeah the forever homes yeah well um definitely check out her work find her on facebook julie austin photography uh j austin photography dot com is the website, yes. and she is um not just in Western Washington now, so if you're listening from wherever in the country, I don't suppose you're doing um international travel yet, but probably I'm, uh, I'm would. not opposed to it yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely open to that so if you're so moved by her photos and they really are amazing um definitely check her out so. How do people, what does it take to get you to, to go to another state? Do you have to have sort of enough people who want, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Enough people in one location. Um, or, you know, if somebody wanted me to, to fly me out just for one photo session, I'm I'm Game. more than happy to do that, too. Cool. So just shoot me an email and get the discussion going.
1: Excellent. And all that information is on your website? Yes. Yes, it's all on my website. jaustinphotography.com jaustinphotography.com. The Facebook page is Julie Austin Photography. All right. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, and, you. Um, I, you know, I've seen you around at various events and I love your work. Oh, thank you. I love seeing your work online and, oh, I do, you know. <laughs> so definitely check her out on Facebook and on her website. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to be back with the Beagle Freedom Project. Great organization. They're rocking it changing uh, changing laws and helping animals who are subjected to laboratory testing. So stay tuned for that. Julie, it's been a pleasure to have you thank on the show. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll be uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: Of a rich brunette
1: sitting on my mama's knee. Someone to love me, someone to care. Rub a double, double little fingers through my hair and lead a dog's life. What a life.
0: That's good enough
1: for me. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country. But if you live in Western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities, you name it, and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, host, at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes, host, at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs)
0: This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to animal communicator, intuitive, medium, and Reiki master Darcy Pariso, we cover the world of animals. This week, November 5th, it's Shelter, Rescue, Sanctuary, and Anything That Helps Our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll check on Missy's Rescue and Whisker City, more time with Equine Aid, Horse and Donkey Rescue, and Krista Gibson from New Spirit Journal and Ananda joins us with a big announcement. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. Bringing good vibes to the Puget Sound and the world. Alternative Talk 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. All
1: right, welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we are back with Kevin Chase, who's the director of operations of the Beagle Freedom Project. The Beagle Freedom Project is a mission to rescue beagles used in animal experimentation in research laboratories and give them a chance at life in a loving forever home. Kevin, welcome to The Dog Show.
0: Thanks for having me, Julie. It's my pleasure.
1: So we have a lot of ground to cover um, because you guys are up to a lot of great stuff, and this is a really important topic. So the Beagle Freedom Project, so you uh, primarily are uh, sort of a rescue organization that places dogs that are released from laboratories who had been used for animal testing into homes. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, Beagle Freedom Project started about three years ago by our founder, Shannon Keith, who's an attorney in Los Angeles. And she grew up in a, a home where her dad was a director and a movie maker. And so she also had some skills behind the camera. And she had a small nonprofit shelter rescue organization a couple of years ago. And the rescue organization was contacted by a laboratory that said, hey, we've got these two experimentally spent beagles. That's Mm. their words. And if we can't find a place for them, we're going to euthanize them. And Shannon obviously said, yes, of course, I'll take them. So she went and picked up these two little beagles who had spent their entire lives in a lab. And with her camera, because she's in Hollywood, sat down and filmed opening the crate doors for these two dogs and documenting and videoing their first 20 minutes of freedom in life. Yeah. These were two dogs that had never been outside, never put a paw on a blade of grass, never smelled fresh air, seen the sunshine. And what she captured in those 20 minutes was just heart-wrenching. Mm. You know, they, they cautiously and curiously, with a lot of timidity, finally came out and you could just see the worry and the anxiety on their face from all those years of deprivation begin to melt away as they started to hop around and play with each other. This video went viral and caused Shannon to have this idea that this is one of the best tools we have to engage the public about a very controversial but a very important issue and that issue is animal testing. Yeah. Instead of just confronting the general public with undercover footage of you know bloody dogs and tormented monkeys and cats we wanted to engage the public in a really positive way so that's why we rescue these dogs Uh, we negotiate with the 383 laboratories in the United States that have over 65,000 dogs in them now 96% of those 65,000 dogs are beagles they're the breed of choice for research facilities Precisely for the same reasons that they make great family members,
1: did you say ninety
0: percent? ninety six percent
1: ninety six percent of the sixty five thousand dogs in laboratories in the u s. are Beagles. Wow.
0: They're the, they're the breed of choice for researchers precisely for the same reasons you and I want to share our homes with them. They're gentle, they're people pleasing, they're forgiving. They don't use Rottweilers and pit bulls for a reason. They pick on the vulnerable in the Sweetie Pies. And so in the last couple of years, we've managed to rescue hundreds of beagles and other dogs, and also pigs, rabbits, cats, ponies, fish, um, even billy goats now, from laboratories all across the world in four countries and in 28 states. And we place them in homes. And we use the high-profile nature of these rescue operations to engage the public and talk about animal testing because we're not just a rescue organization. We also have a policy position that is opposing animal testing, and we feel one of the best ways to spark a public debate about this very important issue is to get people with the animals they empathize with the most, Okay. dogs and cats they share their homes with.
1: Okay, so I've got some questions for you. So where, now I just want to talk about animal testing because I think that people have like an idea of what exactly that is, but, but, you know, I actually was sort of impressed and surprised about what I learned or what I didn't know about animal testing and what kinds of products all do that. And I, you know, am in the industry and have the show and all that kind of stuff, so When we say, you know, there's 65,000 dogs in the U.S. that are that live in laboratories and are used for animal testing. Is that in um, testing for household cleaners, cosmetics, drugs, um, medical research, you know, all all of those types of things and others and more, I'm sure.
0: Yes, it's all of the above. These dogs are used in a host of research experiments um, to test things like Viagra or Botox or a new component to a washing powder or a tanning lotion. Or Splenda was tested on Beagles. Um, they're also used to test various academic curiosities at American research or university research institutions. They're the breed of choice um, for a lot of, toxicity testing and during toxicity testing they're slowly poisoned by a method called oral gavage that's where a beagle is held off and they take a long plastic tube and they just crudely insert it all the way down his esophagus and they pour a given substance into his stomach at various doses at various times a day to see how the dog reacts how sick he gets how long it takes to die yeah and that's the picture of animal testing for a lot of dogs in this country.
1: Mm. It's just um, now I'm curious because in science um, I've been, I do a lot of um, interviews and promotions of a conference that happens. It's a new conference that's had its second year this summer called Sparks. And it's a lot of scientific research in the field of dog cognition and how dogs think and, Everybody who attends these and speaks at these are are not doing tests in, you know, using laboratory animals. They're using, you know, pet dogs that have homes who, you know, it's all very non-invasive and all that. And one of the things that they've talked about is that within the scientific community, it is now more widely accepted and agreed on that animals have emotions, whereas you know, a few decades ago, if not less than that, it was like, oh no, you know, animals are robots that don't feel anything and that so we can do whatever we want to them and and that that's really confronting right now because it's like, well geez, if these these animals, not just dogs, but you know, all animals are, you know, mice, rats, whatever they're using, can suffer, do have emotion, do have, you know, awareness and and um I'm wondering if animal testing is Generally, is it on a decline, or is it is it just as strong as ever, or is it on the rise? What is your sense for that?
0: It depends on the field of research. Um, generally, for cosmetic and household products, it's on the decline. All of Europe, India, Israel, they have banned all cosmetic and cosmetic testing on animals and product testing on animals. Um, in the U.S., it's in decline in certain fields. Uh, but medical and pharmaceutical research, there is a there is an uptick in a certain number of animals. And unfortunately, in the United States, too, um, we're concerned about all animals at Beagle Freedom Project, even though we call ourselves Beagle Freedom Project. Um, we also care about the mice, the rats, and the birds. And in the United States of America, under the Animal Welfare Act, those aren't even classified as animals, so they don't have to be counted, and they're afforded no protection under the law for their humane care. So, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of great statistics about exactly how many mice, rats, and birds are in U.S. laboratories because there is no accountability to having them um, quantified. Hmm.
1: Um, yeah, it's just uh, so it's so important that, you know, we talk about what, you know, if you're sitting here listening to this and it's like, you know, the example that you gave is is horrific and unfortunately is one of many. And it's just not okay that we're doing this. It's just, I mean, it makes me want to break something when I think about, you know, that we're doing this to these animals. And so we Darcy got, my wife got um all in all over this when I told her she started looking at the website, saw a couple of those videos that are on your website, which is Beagle Freedom Project dot org of the beagles coming out of their crates for the, you know, stepping on grass for the first time and all this stuff. So she got your, uh, or the, the cruelty cutter app, which has been, um, getting, certainly getting some mileage (laughs) in our household. Everything that we've had in our house has been scanned. Um, and so what you can do is it's a, it's an app that you can get on your smartphone and you can actually scan the barcode of like a cleaner or, Uh, shampoo or cosmetic or something like that and it'll tell you if it's cruelty free or not and so our house has now been rid of um, any you know uh, dish soap um, laundry detergents or cosmetics um, and have been replaced with those that are cruelty free and that do not engage companies that do not animal test And I think that's a really powerful thing for the general public to be aware of is where are you, you know, spending your money and not not purchasing, not supporting these companies that do this. So is the cruelty cutter app, is that through Beagle Freedom Project or is that separate?
0: No, Beagle Freedom Project spent a lot of time and resources, two years to be precise. And we came out with a with a smartphone app that had never existed before and wasn't on the market. Mm. And it's exactly what you say it is. It allows you to go in the store with your phone, scan the barcode of any shampoo, toothpaste, makeup, um, toilet cleaner, and it'll instantly tell you if that product was tested on animals or not, and then it allows you to take your protest activity one step further. If it was tested on animals, the app allows you to instantly send an email of protest or socially share on your Facebook or your Mm -hmm. Twitter account that you will not buy this product, and here is the reason. Yep. Now, alternatively, alternatively, if the product is cruelty-free, you can give props and recognition to that company and socially share, hey, I just bought you know Tom's domain toothpaste because they don't test on animals, and that's how I roll. And it allows it to become a status symbol that you are a cruelty-free shopper, conscientious, and that's what we want. We want cruelty-free shopping to be easy, Mm-hmm. And something everybody wants to be connected to. And then importantly with this app on the back end, Beagle Freedom Project is getting some amazing analytics. Yeah. Because our goal is in six months to a year's time, we can go to the annual general meeting of Procter and Gamble or Maybelline or CoverGirl and present to them just from our smartphone data alone that they've lost millions of dollars in scans from our protest activity and that if they're not gonna to listen to the ethical or the conscientious arguments about not using animals to test the new shade of blush, maybe they'll listen to their hurting bottom line.
1: Yeah. Now what is the um I've heard that one of the reasons why some of these companies do animal test is because it is required to sell in China.
0: That is a hundred percent the truth. And many companies that would otherwise be cruelty free, like Avon, are, have, you know they, they put a moratorium on testing, and they wouldn't do it anymore. They signed pledges. But because they didn't want to forego the Chinese market, they've chosen to, again, start uh, testing their products on animals in order to gain entry into that market. Now, we sympathize with any company not wanting to lose market share or opportunity, but we also sympathize with companies that have chosen to put their principles before profits. And will not sell in China because they do not want to engage in animal testing, and so we have to side with them and make that classification that any company that still sells in China and obliges that animal testing policy cannot be considered cruelty free. Mm.
1: You know, it's surprising. We were when we were first going through everything in our house with the Cruelty Cutter app, which now. So it looks like there's a link to download the app from your website which is beaglefreedomproject.org. Um can people also go to like an um App Store or you know where yep. people yeah
0: just you know. find it on iTunes it's okay. called Cruelty Cutter and it's on iTunes and the Android version is actually about to be released very soon. It's just finishing its beta testing.
1: Great. So definitely get that and I love that it's not only Um, informing the consumer but also enabling the consumer to make noise about you know like you said it can automatically post to social media or it will automatically send a company an email like hey i see that your product tests on animals so i'm not buying it and you know that's really that noise is really important so that's great it's called the the cruelty cutter and uh, like I said, go to their website or to the um, app store on iTunes and soon for Androids as well, BeagleFreedomProject.org. So now you are, you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got this this app that you've developed. And like you said, that's also giving you a lot of information. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention that is important too, we were really surprised as we were going through our household or, like, out at the store, assuming that, oh, this is a natural product, a natural company, they wouldn't test on animals. And, oh, we were, and then sort of the opposite, we were like, oh, I bet they test on animals, and they wouldn't. Like, um, I think Target, Target brand doesn't... up.
0: Enough. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you know, it was kind of like ones that we sort of assumed didn't did, and ones that we assumed did didn't. So it was really important to to go through that. Um, So you have a how many do you how many beagles or dogs I should say do you have um, in your organization right now, like in homes that that you've that you've rescued?
0: Sure, we have rescued. I believe the number right now is about 228 dogs. Um, I believe 215 of them are beagles, representing that 96% of dogs in laboratories. Um, We have 228 dogs, about 40 rabbits, 10 ponies, um, 15 cats, 5 pigs, some goats, living in 30 states across the country where we've engaged, negotiated, and freed animals from laboratories.
1: So you work directly with the laboratories and and ask them to release the dogs, like you said, that are experimentally spent to you rather than just euthanizing them, which seems like is what would happen otherwise.
0: Euthanizing these animals is the standard procedure for any laboratory. And we engage the laboratories, and we tell them, we're up front. Listen, we don't like animal testing. That is our politics. However, what the Eagle Freedom Project is doing is attempting to find a common ground area where parties on both sides of this polarizing debate can get together and do something to help these animals. And that common ground is this, is that if these dogs and cats or these other animals are healthy and cannot be used in any other further research and their dissection is not required for the research data then there's no reason to summarily kill them Mm -hmm. let them have a chance to live a life be pampered sit on a couch run outside because after everything they've endured for our curiosities for our products for our drugs they've earned that chance at freedom and we've managed to convince a number of laboratories to engage us. Even though they know we don't like what they do, Mm -hmm. we're opposed to it principally, philosophically, and scientifically, but they'll still work with us because some of the folks in this laboratory, especially the low-level animal care technicians, the people in charge of feeding, cleaning the cages up, and walking the animals to and from the laboratory every day, they get to know these dogs over a course of sometimes five, six, seven years. And when the research study is finally over, They're gutted to think that these dogs are just going to be killed. And so they'll beg and plead with their management, their higher up, please let me in my spare time to come in on a weekend to help find these dogs home. And then that employee reaches out to us, and we say, yep, we'll take them all. We'll come and pick them up. We'll pay for the veterinary care. And we have 5,000 applicants on a waiting list, desperate to help one of these poor dogs.
1: So that you that so you when you say that you mean you have five thousand people who are ready to take in a dog from one of these laboratories.
0: Yep, in every state wow. in the country. Wow, that's that's the way Beagle Freedom Project is able to be a national rescue organization. There are very few national rescue organizations, and it's because we have this really sophisticated, healthy, and vetted applicant database that we're constantly updating. So if a rescue happens tomorrow in Memphis, Tennessee, we can plug ourselves into it, find the twenty nearest homes, and see which homes can open up tomorrow to yeah. put a dog in it.
1: Wow. I just can't I just can't fathom how somebody could actually go through with some of these things and then, you know, be able to sleep at night. It just blows my mind.
0: Um, There's an interesting psychology at play in many of these laboratories, Julie, as Shannon and I can both tell you, because we've toured many of them through our years of activism. And there is this disconnect between what they do to the animals in the labs and then how they treat their animals at home. You know, in the laboratories, the animals have no names. These deagles all have tattoos uh, inked in their ears, these numbers, their federal ID numbers. They're not allowed to be called a name. Yet you go to the desk of one of the researchers, one of the laboratory workers, and they have pictures of their own dogs lining up everywhere. It's this desensitization. They're trying not to see the animal as no different than the one they see at home. And it is our job at Beagle Freedom Project to give them names, to mm. say these animals are no different than the one sixty million Americans share their homes with. Mm. And that's why this should be an issue we all care about. We should all be Channeling our voices together to advocate for more funding of alternatives, so no dogs have to suffer like this.
1: So, how is like with the example that you gave um, earlier? Um, how is that? How are these dogs not protected? I mean, you mentioned like the Animal Welfare Act, which you know doesn't consider other animals as animals in the in that law, but mm-hmm. but these are dogs. So are they somehow not, do they somehow not benefit from the rights that dogs who are, you know, pets who live in homes, I mean, if somebody was caught doing that to their, what you described to their dog at home, the dog would be taken away by animal control.
0: You're absolutely right. No, animals and laboratories are not afforded the same rights and protections as family member animals. There's a big legal distinction and classification there. Animals and laboratories are protected by the Animal Welfare Act, and the Animal Welfare Act says they need certain access to food, water, um, you know, some sort of comfort, uh, pain management. But there's exemptions to all of that these dogs can be deprived of food, water, and pain management if the research objective says that will interfere mm. with the test. And oftentimes that is written into the test. Yeah. They can't be given anesthetics because, you know, it could dull the reaction they're trying to witness.
1: Yeah. So you have some legislation that you're working on, the Beagle Freedom Bill. Mm-hmm. So tell us the about Beagle- that.
0: Yeah, the Beagle Freedom Bill is a product of Beagle Freedom Project for a couple of years now. You know, we've been saving all these animals from laboratories, and we've saved a stunning number considering this has never really been done before. Mm. But the 228 dogs we've rescued is really just a drop in the bucket when you consider that there's 65,000 dogs still in labs. And we even have a quote from one of the research institutions that opposed us saying that they could be releasing In just the East Coast alone, 1,200 dogs a month, but they won't. And the research institutions don't want to release these dogs for the same reasons we want to get them out, and that's because we want to tell their stories, remind Mm -hmm. the public the true cost we all pay for the products that are tested on animals, and we want to get the public involved in petitioning for greater alternatives. And the research institutions don't want any extra scrutiny, and they certainly don't want criticism. So because we've been stymied and because there is no law saying that when a research project ends, that this dog should be given a right to be placed mm. in a home mm-hmm. if a home exists. Mm-hmm. There is no there's a deficiency at law that does not address what happens at the end of research if a dog is healthy and adoptable. Mm-hmm. And so we drew together a policy proposal that should cover this. And it's pretty simple. If you are a research institution and you take taxpayer money, because maybe you're a university, when that research project is over, if you have dogs and cats that need not be used in any other projects and do not have to be euthanized at the end for the research objective, then the very least you have to do is pick up a phone and call your local charitable animal rescue organization and ask them if they can take them and put them in a home. Mm -hmm. This isn't controversial. This is the... Fair minimum, the baseline standard that these animals deserve. And we've sponsored this legislation in Minnesota, California, and New York. And in 2014, we made history. We passed this law in Minnesota, and it became the first political entity in the world to recognize that these dogs and cats have a value and a worth beyond that of just being a research subject. Mm.
1: It's such a, uh, such a shadow side of this. Um, you know, I mean, I, am I have this whole show about, you know, dogs and in, especially in the U S and life with dogs, you know, um, not, you know, from my perspective, which is that they, you know, all animals deserve rights and to be treated with respect and not tortured in laboratories and stuff like that. Um, And this is a country that loves their dogs. I mean, you know, we we love dogs. It's all over social media, you know, dog, cute dog and cat videos that go all over the place because they're doing something cute and they go viral. And then yet we have this shadow side of, you know, within the same country where we're torturing animals for, you know, to, to test cosmetics or whatever so that the product can be sold in China or whatever the reason is. And it's just such a contradiction.
0: That's why we do these rescues, is to engage the public and provoke this conversation. And nine times out of ten, Julie, the average person on the street, when we tell them, because, you know, I have two of these dogs, I Junior and Raymond, both are re- former research beagles. And when I tell somebody on the street where Raymond came from, and I flip back his ear and they see that tattoo, the look on their face is mm. shocked. Mm-hmm. Every one of them to a T will say, they don't still do that, do they? Yeah, I thought that was banned. I no thought it was over. And I tell them, nope, there's 65,000 dogs exactly like Raymond right now in laboratories all around us. They're shocked. And that's the reason we tell the stories. These these beagles, these little dogs, they can do more to change the heart of a person on this topic with a simple wag of their tail Mm. than I can do with my best words. Right. You know, they're living survivors and reminders. They're our little ambassadors.
1: So do you notice after the, um, what did you say, 286, I think, dogs that you, that Beagle Freedom Project has has taken in and and rehomed, um, what do you notice about how these dogs, I mean, I assume a lot of them have been in the laboratory setting their, you know, entire life. And it's probably been in, in some cases several years Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, like you said, there's this uh, there's video footage, which is really powerful to watch on their website, BeagleFreedomProject.org of these dogs, you know, with the kennel door opening on onto grass and they've never walked on grass before in their entire life. And you see these dogs just sort of tentatively taking their first steps into freedom and then, you know, down, you know, fast forward and they're running around and playing and. What do you notice of from? How do these dogs handle this, this transition? I mean, are some of them really, where it takes them, where they're really traumatized? Um, or you probably see it kind of across the board, or are they for the most part just like moving forward? What do you notice?
0: That's a great question. There are some general trends, but dogs are like people. You know, they're emotionally complex creatures. Mm-hmm. And they all have little differences, and they all adjust to freedom and deal with their past traumas in different ways. But generally what we see is it's 50-50, and it depends really on the length of time these animals are spent in the lab. Anywhere from one to three years, and we release these animals, and first of all, all the dogs have never been freed before. They're commercially bred at specific breeders, Just to sell the laboratories.
1: Well, that was one of my questions: is where are they getting all of these (laughs) dogs from? And they're actually specifically bred to supply the the laboratory, like the industry of experiment. I mean, yeah, it's
0: a big business. There's about four large breeding facilities in the United States that supply most of the dogs to the laboratories. I'm sure those
1: conditions are great too.
0: Yeah, they're, they're really deplorable. Yeah. But um, so these dogs have really never, they've never had a home life. They've always been indoors, and they go from a breeding facility indoors by a plane or cargo truck to a laboratory where they're kept in a, you know, usually the labs for dogs are in basements, concrete floors, cinder block walls, fluorescent lights overhead. All they have around them is stainless steel cages with, metal slated floors, and it's echoey. They can hear the other dogs barking and making noise and clanging around. Mm -hmm. They hear doors shutting. This is their world from years on end. And when we let them go, those dogs that have been in there from one to three years, you know, they're a little nervous. They don't know what to make of you. But as soon as you're affectionate towards them, they are little love sponges. Mm -hmm. They want to be on your lap. They just want to be hugged. They wanna run around, they wanna be goofy. But some of those dogs that we've gotten out of lab that have been in there seven, eight, nine, even ten years, mm. it takes them a little longer to get over that trauma. Mm-hmm. They don't trust strangers so quickly. Even to this day, we've we rescued one dog, Abe, about a year and a half ago. And even to this day, you know, if you don't know him and he doesn't know you, he's not gonna come up to you and sniff you. He's gonna watch you from afar. And he may never get over that distrust. Yeah because of the violence his little body suffered yeah but when he's with his family and he's in his backyard he is just a normal little dog he Mm -hmm. likes to run around with the ball he likes to sleep on the couch with his dad you know and that's the that's the life he deserves that's the happy ending he and all these other other these other laboratory beagles deserve
1: yeah so what is there to do so we we were just really you know, inspired to get the cruelty cutter app, go through our house, rid it of anything that uh, was animal tested and then, you know, find replacements of from companies that don't animal test so that, uh, you know, brands that are cruelty free. So there's, purchase power and and through the cruelty cutter app because then that will automatically make noise about it either on social media or it'll send the company an email or something like that. So it's great to keep doing that and then also giving you guys like you said the analytics and data that it'll give you. Um what else can people do to, you know, like they can get on join the list of 5000 sure. people who are ready At a moment's notice to open their home to a dog that might become available anywhere in the country.
0: Um, There's a host of things people can do. One is just like you said, you know, be a cruelty-free shopper. That is the first thing, and it is the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. In the modern 21st century America, there is no excuse for you to have a toothpaste that was tested on animals. I haven't used a toothpaste tested on animals in 20 years or washed my hair with a shampoo tested on animals in 20 years and I have curly white teeth and nice shiny hair. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. Nobody needs products tested on animals. Right. So first things first, be a cruelty-free shopper. Secondly is the outreach. Yeah. This is why we rescue these dogs. If you're compelled by this interview or you've been to the website and you've seen one of these videos, socially share that video. Mm. Talk to a friend about it. Inform your acquaintances because most people don't realize this is still happening and the best way to end it. Just to boycott it and yeah. the third thing is exactly what you just said after that get on our list be an applicant to foster or adopt the only way beagle freedom project exists and can say to a laboratory in missouri or colorado or georgia that we will take all their dogs in 24 hours notice just give them the chance is if we have you in our corner right ready to go to open up your homes and your hearts to help. Mm. So go to beaglefreedomproject.org and apply to a foster or adopt. And then one of the other things, obviously, and I have to shill for this because we are a nonprofit organization and we are funded completely on the donations of others because mm. we could always use a tax-deductible contribution to continue this work mm-hmm. so we can save animal lives, change human lives, and enact legislation and public policy that's going to help more animals and spark more debate about bringing this all to an end. Mm. At Beagle Freedom Project, we always like to put out there, we put out the happy stories. We're not putting out blood and guts and gore. We're putting out stories of survival. It's heartwarming and it's heart-wrenching. And we do this because we want to end animal testing. We're not anti-science. We're not anti-product testing. We're not anti-medicine. We just don't believe that the animal models are appropriate ethically or scientifically. And the more we can have an open dialogue about that, the more progress we'll make as a society.
1: Yeah. Well, the website again is BeagleFreedomProject.org. As Kevin just shared, there's lots of ways to get involved and support the cause and support the organization with the cruelty cutter app with getting on their list and becoming a uh, foster or adoptive home for Beagle that might become available in your area. Um, I do have a question. Do these dogs tend to be friendly with other dogs? I see a lot of videos where they're all running around together and they're all happy. Um, So I think a concern might be for someone who's listening well, I already have, you know, one or two dogs. Are these dogs typically friendly with other dogs? Would it be, is it something where they can? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is a great question. And I'm glad you brought that up. When we do fosters for these dogs coming out of the lab, we almost always universally seek and prioritize those homes that have other dogs already in them. Because when we place one of these laboratory beagles in a home, they love and they immediately bond. With the other dog even if they feel fearful of the person they love other dogs and that other dog in the home acts as their mentor yeah showing them you know this is how we eat out of a bowl it's okay when there's a leash on us and we go for a walk this is where you pee they learn so much quicker quicker about how to be a free normal healthy you know adjusted dog by having another dog with them
1: Well, thank you so much for your time today. The Beagle Freedom Project does such amazing work. You can find them online at beaglefreedomproject.org and on Facebook as well. And be sure to find The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook and become a fan. We'll be here next week live at 2 p.m.
0: been listening to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk 11:50 a.m. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.